Let's go ahead and get into this week's world news. How is everybody doing? Welcome to the podcast. BK here. Go ahead and please follow me on Twitter if you can, at BKActual. And just want to, again, say thank you for everyone to continuing to spread the word about the podcast. It's it's going to be another record-breaking month in a row. And uh, really glad everybody likes it and uh, continues to check it out. So, Without further ado, why don't we start this week with the top story of the week, and this is going to be the breaking news yesterday that 12 Russian agents have been indicted in the Robert Mueller election interference investigation. And yes, on the indictment itself, this comes only three days before President Trump was planning to meet with President Vladimir Putin of Russia, of course, in Helsinki, Finland. Now, this 29-page indictment is the most detailed accusation by the American government to date of the Russian government's interference in the 2016 election. And it includes a litany of brazen Russian subterfuge operations meant to foment chaos in the months before Election Day. And these subterfuge operations, included phishing attacks, that's with a P, not with an F, uh, the sort that you would, you know, the common scam that you see on the emails, and phishing attacks to gain access to Democratic operatives, to money laundering, to attempts to break into state election boards. This indictment does detail a vigorous and complex effort by Russia's top military intelligence service to sabotage the campaign of Trump's Democratic rival Hillary Clinton. Now, Trump has long expressed doubt that Russia was behind the 2016 attacks, but this 11-count indictment illustrates even more the distance between his skepticism, writes the New York Times, and the nearly unanimous views of the intelligence and law enforcement agencies he leads. Now, this is quite the bombshell released one day after the Republican members of Congress engaged in a shouting match during that Peter Strzok hearing, and we're going to get into that later. I've got some audio clips from that. That that waste of time. Uh, now and it, uh, it now and the president's allies, of course, are questioning the timing of this. Now Russia, for its part, has denied that its government had any role in hacking the presidential election. And on Friday, Mr. Trump said he would confront Mr. Putin directly. But the president said he did not expect his Russian counterpart to acknowledge it. Yeah, I I freaking doubt it, dude. (laughs) Uh, Trump also said he believed the focus on Russia's election meddling and whether his campaign was involved was merely a partisan issue. That has made it more difficult for him to establish closer ties with Mr. Putin. And the Kremlin agreed with that. They have released a statement, the Russian foreign ministry, saying that this indictment is nothing more and is uh, it's been meant to spoil the atmosphere before the Russian-American summit coming up. The indictment builds on a declassified report released in January 2017 by several intelligence agencies, which concluded that Putin and the Russian government aspired to help President-elect Trump's election chances when possible by discrediting Secretary Clinton and publicly contrasting her unfavorably to him. Friday's indictment did not include any accusations that the Russian efforts succeeded in influencing the election results, 
nor evidence that any of Mr. Trump's advisors knowingly coordinated with the Russian campaign. Still, this indictment added curious new details to the events leading up to the November 2016 elections, and we'll get into some specifics here. Now, the indictment said that July 27, 2016, was the first time that Russian hackers tried to break into the servers of Mrs. Clinton's personal offices. This was the same day that Mr. Trump publicly encouraged Russia to hack Mrs. Clinton's emails. Yeah, Like they wouldn't have done it unless Trump sat. Remember when he said that at the campaign rally? Oh, yeah, here's the quote right here. Uh, it was not a campaign rally. I misspoke. It was a news conference when he said, quote, I will tell you this, Russia. If you are listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. End quote. Separately, the indictment states that the hackers were communicating with a person who was in regular contact with senior members of the presidential campaign. Two government officials identified that person as Roger Stone Jr., who, of course, is a longtime advisor to Mr. Trump and the subject of close scrutiny by the FBI and Mueller's team. There is no indication that Mr. Stone knew he was communicating with Russians. Now, communicating on August 15th as Guccifer 2.0, that's the online persona of this hacker, the Russian hackers uh, did communicate with Stone and basically said, oh, hey, we've got uh, some docs that we've posted up here. Do you find any interesting, anything interesting in them? In another interaction several weeks later, the hackers, again writing as identifying themselves as Guccifer 2.0, <laughs> Guccifer, pointed to a document stolen from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and posted online, asking, quote, what do you think of the info on the turnout model for the, pres for the Democrats' entire presidential campaign, end quote? And the unknown person who is believed to be Roger Stone answered, quote, pretty standard, end quote. By pulling together threads that Americans have read about for years, uh, including the hacking of political institutions and campaigns, the dissemination of hacked emails, and the attempt to compromise state election infrastructure, a chairman of the cybersecurity practice and former general counsel of the National Security Agency said, this indictment is our clearest window into that campaign. Now, they are saying that this campaign targeted more than 300 people affiliated with the Clintons, as well as other Democratic Party organizations. They implanted malicious computer code into computers, covertly monitored their users, and stole their files that led to a series of disaster, disastrous leaks. Now, investigators identified the 12 individuals in the indictment more than a year ago, but only now are saying exactly who they were. And then starting in April of 2016, the hackers began to spread those stolen files using the several online personas. In, one of them, uh, the aforementioned Guccifer 2.0, and another one was called DC Leaks. The tens of thousands of stolen documents, recall, were released in stages throughout much of the election season. And you guys remember all that. We kind of got into that as it was happening. Most of the Russian intelligence officials charged in Friday's indictment worked for the Russian Military Intelligence Agency, 
formerly known as the GRU and now called the Maine Directorate. And while many of the broad elements of this Russian mission, if call it, if you want to call it that, were known before, investigators had not previously said how the Russian agents paid for the hacking campaign. And what they're saying in this indictment is that the hackers were using cryptocurrency. And in the indictment, it said that the Russian agents handled the most delicate transactions with Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency. Interesting. The Russian agents had several methods for acquiring Bitcoin, according to the indictment. At one point, the agents were actually doing their own Bitcoin mining. And you guys know what that is? I, th I think we've talked about this before in a previous podcast. So they weren't just trading Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin with cash. They were actually setting up their own computer servers and mining their own Bitcoin. I say mining with air quotes here. Because the way to earn Bitcoin is you set up these... Just very quickly, I don't want to get in the weeds on it, but basically mining for Bitcoin is solving a series of mathematical problems and then you are rewarded with Bitcoin. And the mathematical problems are so complex, you need massive computers to do it. It's a whole thing. Go Google it. It's, uh, it takes too long to describe and it's kind of, it's kind of eye-glazing anyway. Uh, now, Obama's taken some heat and there have been... Questions raised about actions taken and not taken by American intelligence agencies and the Obama administration as this campaign unfolded. It was not until October 2016, for example, that the government put out its first public statement on the Russian intrusion before the election even happened. And if Americans knew much earlier about Russian actions, there will be questions about why they did not warn the targets, try countermeasures, or call Russia out publicly before they did. Yeah, why not? Why didn't you tell anybody? The New York Times writes, It is possible that American spies did not detect the Russian attacks in real time but reconstructed them later by studying the hacked democratic networks and possibly breaking into Russian systems to examine logs. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're breaking into their systems too. Listen. listen. Uh, go read the whole thing. It's a very good article to New York Times. Like I said, I like the New York Times for their straight reporting. It's very good. But, uh, you know, to this, the, the, the overwrought hysteria on this I'm reading like, they're trying to make this out like this was like the greatest intelligence operation in the history of the, the fucking world. They sent dopey John Podesta basically basic phishing links. No more complicated than those Nigerian print scams that you get in your email. And that stupid idiot clicked on them and then gave these hackers basically free reign into their systems. And... So not only were they too stupid, and then the rest of it was like, you know, basically buying ads on Facebook. We covered all this in, in detail when it happened. And they were buying ads on Facebook, and they were basically making memes, you know, fake people. Stuff that I'm 100% sure we are doing all over the world. I mean, there's an active and vigorous uh, Russian... Um, how do I want to call it? Opposition. You know, it's an autocratic country, of course, with Vladimir Putin, but there's certainly an opposition. And what, you don't think we're helping the opposition right now? Of course we are. And 
again, I just always go back to eat it because the 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 uh, the conventional wisdom now is that this Russian hacking basically caused Mr. Trump to win the election. And I always keep going back to this. Let me ask you: ask your friends. Do you know anybody from the moment it was clear who was going to be the Democratic nominee and the Republican nominee? Do you know a single person who was undecided 10 seconds after they announced that? Like, seriously, you could not have two more diametrically opposed candidates than Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. So to listen to the uh, spin on this, it supposes that there are legions or there were legions of undecided voters that were swayed by obscure emails from dopey John Podesta. Which, no, I just, I don't believe it. I don't know a single person who wasn't very much for one person or the other and very loud about it. And, of course, I want to get back. I hope we're doing the same thing to Russia, and I know, I know for a fact we are. But you can't let this stand. Now, this isn't going to, this is like the kind of the same thing I talked about last week with Mexico. There's a certain infantile streak in people where they want to cancel all talks because there's been mean things said. You understand what I'm saying? Same thing with Mexico, same thing with North Korea. Where uh, terrible things were said by us about Mexico, terrible things were said by Mexico about us, so therefore everybody wants to call off any meetings and negotiations. And that's like so juvenile to me. You have to maintain relationships with these people. And for the, the fact that people now want to... What, you want to, like, not talk to Russia now? Another nuclear power? Like, we're not going to do business with them and talk to them? Of course we are. Are we going to have all kinds of subterfuge, as the New York Times writes, going on below the surface? Yes, we are. And they are, too. And again, how are you going to stop this? Now, because, again, this wasn't really, hmm, from what I'm reading, and I could be mistaken on this, because they throw around the word hacking a lot. Like, first of all, the big one is Russia hacked our election. <laughs> That's the big one. Okay? They keep pointing out over and over again, no vote totals were changed. There weren't, you know, that's when you say hack an election, I think, oh, you mean they changed vote counts? Like they broke into the machines and like changed the totals? Now Trump had 100 more votes? Like they took away votes from somebody? And that's not what happened. So I don't like the vert, and then ha even if you don't, and then they say like when they, it, it is more precise to say they interfered with our election, and how they do that. Again, most of it was posting memes, and buying Facebook ads on social media. How are you gonna ever stop that? How are you gonna stop some guy from creating a fake account, and posting a meme, or having influence online? Again, we do it all the time, and I don't know how you're ever gonna stop that. It's up to the informed voter to figure out that somebody's a fraud. And it's really not that hard. Like I go on social media, I go on Twitter and I see comments from people who like have, have tweeted like 12 times, have no profile picture and have like grammatical errors in their sentence. You know what I'm saying? And they're, and they're basically being a troll. So it's kind of easy. It's not always easy, but some of the trolls are very obvious from fake accounts and bots and all the rest of it. That you have to be, you have to, it's on you, the intelligent citizen, to discern for yourself the truth. And this is where critical thinking skills come into play. I'm just saying, it's fucking impossible, you guys, to stop this.
Now, moving on, we had the big march in London. Oh, did you see this? Trump went to London finally, and they had the big march. All the SJWs came out. My God. You know, last week I praised those British cave divers as being like, and, and said how the British, man, they just wow me with their ability to take care of business. Of course, from what I see, that is that is still true, but it is such a small minority of people now in Britain. The rest of them, this is what brings you out into the streets because Trump visits, right? You fucking go to jail in England for saying something mean to someone. You fucking know that? You have no freedom of speech over there. You have organized grooming and rape gangs selling off and pimping thousands of young girls there. That doesn't get them out in the streets either. Oh, but Trump does because they can fly their balloon. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. It was so pathetic. But it got him out in the streets. And Trump... During his visit to Britain, he did visit with the Queen, and he used a news conference at Theresa May's country home. She is the Prime Minister, of course, to make fun of the news media once again. <laughs> that was funny as well. And this was the third day of his European trip that will include that meeting this Monday in Finland with Vladimir Putin. And during a news conference at the prime minister's official country residence, Trump was by turns defiant, fawning, and dismissive of his previous interviews. The, the uh, I'm just I'm scrolling through this story here. Now, Trump, basically what the media, this is again, the more childish, because Trump had criticized May in the past, Theresa May in the past. So now, because of that criticism, I guess they can't, like, ever talk again, is the implication by the media. Trump did say the first thing he had done upon meeting with Mrs. May on this trip was to offer her an apology for how he, I guess, criticized her. And called their two countries' relationship the highest level of special. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, oh, I do have a good clip. So when Trump sat down with the at some of these meetings with NATO because he you know in turn he also talked to NATO and he, he talked about basically troop levels and I want to I want to get in on that as well but he did sat down and immediately and this is one of the things that I like about him you know they have these like Q&As and everything I've talked about this a little bit in the past where in the world of diplomacy they like they're they're used to like a certain uh standard a certain way of doing things and now all of a sudden you got this this uh, this uh, crazy president from Queens who doesn't really have time for diplomatic niceties and likes to get straight to the point. So he's sitting down with a bunch of NATO people with his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. And I'm just setting the scene for this little exchange here. And he fucking starts laying into him right away. So let me hear how this goes. Here we go. Very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia 
where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia, and I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, it's ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, we're, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they will be getting from 60 to 70% of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate because I think it's not. <laughs> okay. So also, I should, I should point out that that 70% figure has been uh, disputed. But it certainly doesn't sound like somebody who is trying to help Russia. And it's funny, like I said, this was at like a breakfast. This was supposed to be a meet and greet. Like they're all sitting at a table with like their plates and orange juice and shit in front of them. And he just like launches right into it. Oh, that's great. I like it. Uh, and then he got in more trouble because, the, oh, and this caused many, many pearls to be clutched. Because Trump said on Friday that European leaders better watch themselves because immigration is changing the culture of their societies. He said, quote, I think it has been very bad for Europe. I think what has happened is very tough. It's a very tough situation. I just think it is changing the culture. I think it is a very negative thing for Europe, speaking of immigration. Uh... And this is something, you know what, this is such an, I'm so fascinated by this topic because this is like met with howls of outrage every time you talk about it. And it's just so bizarre to me. Like you, when you have an overwhelming amount of immigration in a very short time, that's exactly what we're seeing today. Of course, it's going to change the culture. Why would a bunch of people from a completely foreign culture going to a new one? And again, this isn't like, it's not exactly, this, it's not like Mexicans coming to Southern California. You know what I mean? Because Mexicans have been in Southern California for many, like, centuries. So it's, and they have, you know, there's a same kind of faith, you know, the Christian, Catholicism things, background. There's a lot of similarities there. So it's not the same thing. But now you're talking about people coming from North Africa, the Middle East, you know, Muslims, different religions, and going to Western countries. And it is, that is completely different. So if you have a little bit of it, a little bit at a time, it usually works out. When you have a massive wave of it, it usually doesn't. But this is like, oh, you should have seen the fucking reactions to this obvious truth. <laughs> they were basically calling Trump a Klan member for saying this. And I'm like, well, you know what? What do you think? Do you think the, do you think it's going to be, do you think like a Judeo-Christian country will be, the same and have its hundreds of years of culture remain the same when it's met with a massive influx of people from a different culture who don't appreciate the new one they just got to? Of course it won't. It's going to change. Now, you can say it'll change in a good way or change in a bad way, but it probably will change if it's such a massive amount. But just saying that obvious thing out loud is just met with this like uh, disbelief and howls of racism. And, uh, and it's, it's crazy to me. And it's only like with Western countries too, because you know what? I seriously fucking doubt. Uh, let's it, take white people out of it is what you have to do. Because let's use logic here. I don't think if like 
thousands and thousands and thousands of, say, I don't know, I'm spitballing, Japanese decided to move into, I don't know, Nigeria and kind of start doing things their own way. What, you don't think the Nigerians would have a fucking problem with it? Of course they would. Anybody would. You can do this with any culture. But this is just another one of those things that is considered verboten to talk about. What else happened this week? Oh, yeah. this I can't believe this was this week, you guys. The news cycle is increasingly fast. We had a new Supreme Court nominee. This is Judge Brett Kavanaugh. And he will be the uh, president's newest nomination to the United States Supreme Court. And if he is confirmed, will cement a solid pro-business majority on the nation's highest court, advance Mr. Trump's aim at dismantling the regulatory state, liberating industry from what he sees as burdensome rules. But as with pretty much all nominee, Judge Kavanaugh and his supporters are carefully shaping his narrative for the diverse Senate and the broader American public. He's going to talk about how he grew up, how he had, how he had a tough time growing up with his parents uh, and all that stuff. But the fact is, you know, he's just, he's another member of the same old day. You know, we have fucking every Supreme Court justice either went to Harvard or Yale. Why is that? They have so many other fucking law schools and everybody's from those two schools. Why is that? I always wonder about that. And I'm just uh, looking at this. The New York Times, by the way, you guys should go check that one out. Uh, he was involved in the Bill Clinton investigation. Uh, he he has a good friend who headed up the 2000 Florida recount, the Bush versus Gore. You guys remember that one? And... But he's just another he's just another guy. He's he basically grew up privileged like they all did. His parents were featured in a 1985 Washington Post magazine article <laughs> about redecorating their interior home. So he's he's like he's basically a uh he's a Washington guy. A little bit about him. He actually thought about becoming a history teacher when he finished his bachelor's degree in history at Yale. But he did not. He decided to go straight to Yale Law School in 1987. And they said that his talents did not always stand out at Yale, where his class was full of other academic stars, and would uh, that same class would produce several judges. Uh, one of the judges he went to uh, school with, named James Boasberg, is now a United States state's district court judge in Washington, appointed by President Barack Obama. Yeah, this is, uh, I know this is like the not the most exciting thing, but this is like shit that's happening right now. But let's get to an exciting thing. I, I started off last week by talking about that Thai cave rescue. Wow, I was I, I was wondering like what they were gonna do. Well, the the rising floodwaters and the the the, the uh, kids kind of spiraling down provoked them to take action, and miraculously enough, they did rescue all the kids and the soccer coach who were stuck in that cave in Thailand, and it was just crazy. 
You know that you know those kids sometimes had to survive by licking water off the cold limestone walls while they were trapped under there for days and days and days. It's absolutely amazing. And it's just such a, a you know, they're, you're, they're, they're already saying that Hollywood people have been, like, on the ground watching this. And, yeah, this is going to definitely make a movie. They're going to make a movie out of this shit for sure. They had over 10,000 people participating in this rescue, including 2,000 soldiers, 200 divers, and representatives from 100 government agencies. And extracting them, the children, required a long periods underwater in bone-chilling temperatures, by the way, cold as hell, and keeping the boys submerged for around 40 minutes at a time. And I, I was kind of, I doubted this at first, but apparently they, the boys were given anti-anxiety medication to avert panic attacks underwater. And they are saying they were very lucky to do this with no further casualties. Remember, on July 6th, Saman Gunan was that retired Thai Navy SEAL who did die in an underwater passage. And three other Thai Navy SEALs were hospitalized after their air tanks ran low. They had swift underwater currents that were pushing divers off track for hours at a time, sometimes tearing off their face masks. A crew of foreign and Thai cave divers basically courted death every time they went into these cramped chambers. And it's just, uh, it is such a crazy, you guys have to go look at the map that they've managed to put together that shows this tiny cave in the crazy stretch. And I, I just want to know how, I still want to know how they got so far into the cave and why would you do that? I, see, they're all out now. I can ask. I know the parents are all saying the right thing. We don't mind it's okay that the coach foolishly led these kids a mile and a half underground, but I would still like to know what he was thinking. I mean, again, dude, go into the cave. Absolutely. Look around the big main chamber right at the beginning of the cave. Look around. Cool. Don't fucking walk a mile and a half <laughs> into tiny little tunnels that you have to crawl through. I mean, what are you thinking? And if you want, you can go. Uh, the AP News did a cool article about my man, uh, a pararescueman and team sergeant with the Okinawa PJ team. You guys know I remember uh, saying that they were there and involved in a rescue. They were basically, their part was kind of rigging up all the ropes and stuff and making it safe to traverse underground. And yeah, the uh, AP interviewed my buddy, Derek Anderson, 32-year-old PJ with the United States Air Force. And they said what was really important was the coach and the boys all coming together and having the will to live. That You can't underestimate that any at all. And they really decided to hustle on this rescue because the rain was pouring down and they saw how quickly the cave was filling up with water. As Derek said... The cave was dry when they arrived, and within an hour and a half, it had already filled up by two to three feet, and they were being pushed out of it already. And their decision to dive the boys out, despite their weak condition and lack of diving experience, was made when a small window of opportunity was provided 
by relatively mild weather. And the way what they had to do was pump water out to create air pockets at crucial points in the passageway, making a rescue possible at all. And some of the details are really cool. Divers practice their rescue techniques in, in a swimming pool with local children about the same height and weight as the kids trapped in the cave. And they had some positive pressure masks so the boys didn't have to worry about, you know, like sucking on a regulator. The, basically, they just put the mask on and like, okay, breathe normally. So great story. Very happy that everybody's out and alive. I still want to fucking talk to the soccer coach. That's all I'm saying. Turning to... The clusterfuck in Afghanistan, sadly, we did have a United States Army Ranger killed, and he was the second soldier killed this week in Afghanistan. The Army Ranger was 32-year-old Sergeant First Class Christopher Saliz of Somerville, South Carolina, and he died in Afghanistan in the Paktia province after being wounded by enemy small arms fire while conducting a combat operation at a medevac landing zone. Salise was part of the 75th Ranger Regiment and was on his seventh deployment to Afghanistan. I believe, just going off memory, he was uh, he did five deployments as a Ranger. I think he cross-trained as a Ranger, probably from regular infantry. So he did two deployments as infantry and then five as a Ranger, if I have that right. And he was a mortar platoon sergeant. That's very sad. And uh, less than a week ago, uh, the other soldier killed was U.S. Army Corporal Joseph Masil, 20 years old. God, 20 years old, man. He was the one who was killed by that insider attack by a member of the local security forces. And, dude, just, it continues to go on. I, I don't know. What, what, what are we doing there? What's the fucking mission? And now, do you guys see where the, the Pentagon basically is now getting all butthurt at their press conferences when reporters start asking them hard questions? Like, they get all uppity about it. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, the, the Pentagon's mad that reporters are asking fucking pointed questions now. That's where we are. I mean, it's only been fucking 17 fucking years. I have a few questions. They won't let me in the Pentagon briefing. Can you see me in the Pentagon briefing? How funny would that be? Oh, man. What else? Oh, follow-up. You all know that I've been tracking that poisoning. The Novichuk poisoning over in Great Britain. We Go back to last week, you remember. First, we had the, ex, uh, we had the former spy and his daughter poisoned. And then we had two people who were basically dumpster divers, like hobos. And they got poisoned. So I'm fascinated with the story. I just, I don't get it. I don't know what, this is just crazy me, but the British police announced yesterday, Friday, I should point out, by the way, I always forget, sometimes I forget to do this. We started the podcast at 12 o'clock on Saturday. It is now 12.34. But the British police announced on Friday that they had found a small bottle containing Novichok, that deadly substance that was the poison. And they think this might provide a possible break in the four-month investigation into that former spy and the two British citizens. The bottle was found in the home of one of those guys who was diving in the dumpsters. That was Charles Rowley. 
and it was him and his partner, Don Sturgis. And I, they think kind of what happened is they were looking in a dumpster, and they came upon this bottle. I don't know. Maybe they thought it was like, I don't want to speak ill of people who have already had bad fortune, but let's be honest here. I don't know. What they think it was like drugs of some kind, like a bottle of stuff? But they're not really talking about the details of the bottle, so I'm just speculating on that one. Now, Rowley has regained consciousness, and he is speaking to investigators. However, the female, Dawn Sturgis, did die last week. And the police say they do believe that the two of them, basically, all they had to do was touch this container and that was enough because this is just like some massive, uh, horrible chemical weapon is what it is. Uh, now here, okay, let's switching topics here. I I have I have a couple of good examples of media bias. You guys have heard me talk about this a little bit in the past. And media bias isn't necessarily what is uh, media bias isn't necessarily the media like basically being outward with it. Media bias is more about how the media talks about cases and what they do and don't talk about. That's where the media bias comes in. And a big thing is the headline. Now, headlines, you guys know the culture we live in. It's not often that people even read past headlines anymore. Let's fucking be honest. So the headline is hugely important. And that's the way the media bias really kicks in, is how they word things. Let me give you this fucking headline. From the Washington Post. Quote, Driver pays $280 fine, ending Maryland traffic case after deaths of two law enforcement officers. Okay. That's one way to put it. Another way to put it would be, my headline would be, Illegal immigrant let off scot-free after killing to American citizen law enforcement officers by being an idiot, end quote. That is a far more accurate headline. And this was Robert Garza Palacios, 28 years old, who was driving a Honda Accord, and he fatally struck an FBI agent and a fire investigator on the side of a Maryland highway, and they let him off with a $280 fine. He did not have to appear in court, and he did not receive jail time. Prosecutors even said that he drove in a, quote, careless and imprudent manner, end quote. However, his actions did not rise to a gross deviation or reckless disregard for human life, which are the conditions needed to support more serious charges. This is just such nonsense. He was basically driving south on Interstate 270 in Montgomery County. I've been on that freeway many times. And unfortunately, these two law enforcement officers had stepped out of their personal vehicles on the left shoulder of the freeway, which is always, dude, you know what? I'm not, you are fucking basically taking your life in your hands every time you are on the side of a road. Honestly, with the way people are with the cell phones now, I, I would feel, so, I'd be watching like a hawk if I had to pull over for whatever reason. I'd be like so freaking freaked out if I had to change my tire on the side of a freeway at this point, just knowing how people are. And the reason they were on the side of the freeway 
was Carlos Wolf, 36 years old. He's the FBI agent. He had crashed his car into a concrete median after reaching for his cell phone and becoming distracted. And Sander Cohen, 33 years old, he's the arson investigator. who had ju- He was just passing by, and he pulled over to help. So they're both standing there, and Garza Palacios, the illegal immigrant, drove up to the scene from behind and told investigators he could not move to the right because cars were in that lane, so he went left. He didn't see the two guys, and he killed both of them. Unbelievable. And then you have to scroll all the way down to the Washington Post story to find the money quote which is Carlos Palacios, a Guatemalan native, still faces possible deportation. On May 3rd, officers from ICE took him into custody at his home in Gaithersburg and charged him with overstaying and violating the terms of a work visa that had expired in 2009. And get this, it's not his first time with the law. Sanctuary city policies crept up like they always fucking do. Three years earlier, ICE learned that he had been arrested in Montgomery County and asked jail officials to place a hold on him, but that request was not honored, and Garza Palacios was released. And he had previous traffic and driving criminal convictions. Convictions. In a 2015 case, he pled guilty to driving while impaired. Around uh, that same time, he also served about four months in jail after being arrested for smashing windows on about 16 cars and lighting a sofa on fire near a construction site. That's fucking nice, isn't it? Thanks for fucking coming to our country and enriching us so, you fucking turd. And Montgomery County PD, what the fuck is wrong with you? And there is... So, in other words, if... He had been handed over to ICE, deported the way he should have been, as a detriment to our country, as a convicted criminal. These two guys would be alive today. That's the fucking bottom line, you guys. How much fucking more clear can it be? I know. I'm worked up already. God. I gotta stop stop putting these stories at at the beginning of the podcast. Unbelievable. Nice fucking headline, Washington Post. Do you notice they never put illegal immigrant in the headline? Ever. And then they wonder why they get shit on for being fake news. Like, how many example, How many more examples do I have to be? They, they obfuscate, they cover up, they put the pertinent, relevant fucking information in the 18th paragraph of a story. Oh, but they'll run fucking 50 other stories crying about the separated children. And we have more on that coming up as well. Just awful. Terrible, man. Uh, I mentioned uh, the the Peter uh, Stroke, Struck, Streak, Strick, Struck guy. The FBI agent. And, you know, these these open door, these televised hearings, I've said this before, they're nonsense, right? This is just a chance for people to preen on camera. Honestly, they should stop doing these. Because they could probably get a lot more done. I think I read somewhere where, like, on this, uh, on during this hearing, 
Like the first like hour and a half, the dude, the FBI agent, he didn't even talk because basically the congressmen were just grandstanding and making speeches. That's what I'm saying. And it's basically for TV cameras and their constituents. I'm like, just get rid of the cameras, do it behind closed doors, get to the fucking truth. You will save so much time, but no, they want to they be on TV and show everyone how they're doing. It's funny. And it devolved into chaos predictably. I have a few clips here. One was when Trey Gowdy, he's the chairman of the Oversight Committee, Republican congressman, and uh, he decided to tell Peter Strzok what he thought of him and he didn't appreciate the way Strzok was con conducting himself. Oh, thanks for the uh, pop-up ad, CNBC. Horrible. Um, sorry, I just have to uh, turn that down while, while it finishes playing. But yeah, they didn't really... Trey Gowdy basically did not like Peter Strzok and the way he was handling himself, so he decided to start launching in on him, saying, Yo, dude, I don't really care who you... Th I don't know who you think you are, but I don't really appreciate how this testimony is going. Let's see how this goes. There we go. If you were kicked off when you read the text, shouldn't you have been kicked off when you wrote them? Not at all. Well, it wasn't the discovery of your text, Mr. Strzok. It was the existence of your bias that got you kicked off. The Mueller no, investigation. Gowdy, it wasn't. I do not have bias. My personal opinions in no way. Well, then why did you get kicked off? Why'd you get kicked off? Mr. Gowdy, my understanding of why I was kicked off was that based on an understanding of those texts and the perception that they might create, well, hang, hang on a second, Agent Mueller, Strzok. Hang on a second. Perception. Integrity. You're saying it was the perception there are 13 Democrats on the special counsel probe, including one who went to what he hoped was a victory party. That's a perception problem, too. They weren't kicked off. You were. Why were you kicked off? Mr. Gowdy, I cannot speak to special counsel Mueller's How long did you talk to him? These reasons why he did or did How long did you talk to him when he let you go? Uh, in this answer the question. The will be afforded the opportunity I know. It's My recollection is it was a short meeting somewhere between 15 to 30 minutes, probably around 15 minutes. And your testimony is Bob Mueller did not kick you off because of the content of your text. He kicked you off because of some appearance that he was worried about. My testimony, what you asked and what I responded to was that he kicked me off because of my bias. I'm stating to you it is not my understanding that he kicked me off because of any bias, that it was done based on the appearance. If you want to represent what you said accurately, I'm happy to answer that question, but I don't appreciate what was originally said being changed. I don't give a damn what you appreciate, Agent Strzok. I don't appreciate having an FBI agent with an unprecedented level of animus working on two major investigations during 2016. Oh, zing. <laughs> oh, man. And then, uh, so the other one, the other good one was when uh, Louis Louis Gomert, the uh, oh really you're gonna give me two fucking pop up ads CNBC this is honestly you guys I, now I want to point out to people and new listeners that again this show is recorded live with no editing so warts and all this is what you get and I just have to hammer the media companies I, I feel that one pop up ad in the same article will fucking suffice you guys how much fucking money do you need CNBC Jesus. Anyway, okay, so basically Representative Louis Gohmert, he decides to launch into Strzok, and he starts talking about his personal life. Because as you know, Peter Strzok, the FBI agent, was cheating on his wife with an F with a Department of Justice lawyer, Lisa Page, right? So he's like not, he's not, he's a sleazy guy. So Louis decides to go after him on a personal level. Let's hear how this one goes. Uh, let me just turn up the, 
volume here. Here we go. Four times by someone wanting to brief him, leaving messages telling him about this, and he never returned the call. He had 500 pages of bias that he gave us, and then he threw a bone to the Democrats and said, but we can't find bias. And let me tell you, when you have text messages, Mr. Strzok, the way you do, saying the things you did, you'd been better off coming in here and say, look, that was my bias. And you kind of get around to that a little bit when you say, hey, uh, you know, everybody's got political views. Those are called biases. And we all have them. <laughs> and you have come in here and said, I had no bias. And you do it with a straight face. And I watched you in the, in the private testimony you gave. And I told some of the other guys, he is really good. He's lying. He knows. We know he's lying. And he could probably pass a polygraph. Point. It's amazing. Mr. Chairman. No, this is my Mr. Time. Chairman, I'm sorry. I, point of order. Paused. This point of order. No. The general state is point of order. A member of this committee just asserted that this witness who is under oath and a former agent of the FBI lied. There is no evidence that I ask him to withdraw it. <laughs> I do not withdraw it. He is not a member of Congress. It's not a violation of the rule. And just as you have been expressing bias through your members about what a hero is. There is not a single person on this committee who has ever characterized the a witness gentleman as from lying. Rhode Island. Gentlemen, it's my time. That's a gentlemen from Rhode Island will suspend. Him. Oh, my God. No, the disgrace. Mr. What this man has done. The gentleman from justice. Texas will suspend for a there moment. There is the disgrace. <laughs> and it won't be recaptured anytime soon because of the damage you've done to the justice system. And I've talked to FBI agents around the country. You've embarrassed them. You've embarrassed yourself. And I can't help but wonder when I see you looking there with a little smirk, how many times did you look so innocent into your wife's eye and lie to her about oh, Lisa? Mr. Chairman, this is outrageous. The credibility of a witness Shame is always Mr. an issue. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, this is intolerable harassment of the witness. Wow. Can you imagine fucking being around these mental patients all day and going through this stuff? Oh, my God, dude. Oh, and the other dope of the day was uh, Representative Steve Cohen, that idiot, Democrat from Tennessee, nice representative Tennessee. He uh, walked back, is the preferred term, comments he made that FBI agent Peter Strzok deserved a purple heart for showing poise and grace during his congressional hearing. <laughs> and apparently he fucking heard it all over social media, including from me. He went on CNN, and he said, I said something at the hearing yesterday about Purple Hearts, which another network that is named for a four-legged animal has been making a big deal about. Huh, okay. I guess he means Fox News. Wow, good one. Oh, you can't say their name? Dude, it's hard to fucking believe these people are United States Congress people. I swear to God. And he said he regrets using the term Purple Heart. He meant it metaphorically, not literally. Well... Good for you, fucking dick. Uh, what else do I have? Oh, yeah, we talked about... Uh, I mentioned the child separations at the border earlier. Well, that's kind of died down, but the story's still ongoing, and there's been back and forth and court cases, and basically judges now are telling them what to do, but constantly. Quietly underreported was federal officials 
saying that they had reunited 57 of 103 migrant children separated from their parents at the border, but that they had not returned an additional 46 for cited reasons, including deportation and criminal histories of the adults. And these are all children, the 103 children, these are all children under five, right? Now, of the 103, 57 had been reunited, and 46 were acknowledged by the court to be ineligible for reunification. Well, why were they judged ineligible for reunification? Because there were safety concerns posed by the adults in their cases, including serious criminal histories and adults determined not to be the parent. 11 adults have serious criminal histories, including charges or convictions for child cruelty, kidnapping, murder, human smuggling, and domestic violence. Seven adults were determined not to be the parent. One had a falsified birth certificate. One was alleged to have abused the child. One planned to house the child with an adult charged with sexually abusing a child, and one is being treated for a communicable disease. Again, nothing that you will hear from anyone else except for me. And again, with my theme of the media bias, you want to know the headline that the LA Times used for this story? Here's the headline. Quote, Trump administration reunites just over half of migrant children under five with their parents, says others are ineligible. End quote. Is it an is it is it inaccurate or is is there any lie in the title? No. Is that title telling you the whole truth? Fucking that some of these are not the parents. Some of these people are faking birth certificates. Some of them are accused and wanted for murder or sexually abusing children. Don't you think that's fucking information that should be included in the headline? Ah, uh, man, I tell you, man. And right before Trump went to Europe, he was being, uh, you know, the media was shouting at him about various things. And he actually did bring up the controversy at the border. And he had a little uh, quote here. Let's hear how this goes. Ask him questions here. Well, I have a solution. Tell people not to come to our country illegally. That's the solution. Don't come to our country illegally. Come like other people do. Come legally. <laughs> See, that scene is that's a, that scene is very controversial. Isn't that amazing? That simple thing. Crazy to me. Now, on the number of refugees front, for the first time. The number of refugees accepted in the United States has fallen below the rest of the world combined. This is the first time that's happened since 1980. You know, again, this is seen as like some great crime, but you know, so what? The number of refugees accepted in the United States has shrank 60% since 2016. In fiscal year 2017, America admitted 33,000 refugees, down from 97,000 in 2016. We have been historically a world leader in resettling refugees, taking on more than all other countries combined each year. Again, that's something you'll never hear. Remember how we always scream about how we take in more legal immigrants every year than every country combined? Yeah, we also took in more refugees than every country combined. And yet, 
you, if from the way the the far leftists talk, you think that there was like zero immigration in the United States. It's just fucking absurd, you guys. And this is seen as some crazy uh, scandal. While some other countries, including Australia and the UK, have had modest increases in the number of refugees they are willing to accept, it is not enough to fill the hole that the U.S. has created. And this, <laughs> they have some SJW they're quoting. I'm not even going to name her name. She sounds so stupid. You know, and, and this should be from the news of the obvious desks. I think there's a huge misconception by the way the media treats immigration and refugees in, in, in general. The United States immigration policy does not exist to help people in foreign countries. Yeah, I know. It's shocking, isn't it, that somebody actually says that out loud? That's a fact. United States immigration policy is meant and intended to best serve what is in the United States' best interest. It's not meant to help people in foreign countries. It's not. It's to help us. We look out for number one. It's always been that way. It's not, the, the policy does not exist except for how we think it will help us out. That's a cold truth. And if we decide to slightly dial it back, so be it. But again, this is Hitler because everything's Hitler now. Um, while the U.S. number shrank by 66% year over year, it still took on more refugees than any other single country in the world in 2017. That's it. But it's again, it's funny. From the hysteria, you would never fucking think that, would you? What else? Oh, this dope. Let's uh, switch gears here a little bit. Yeah, let's get into this moron. Oh, this actually surprised me. You guys remember the FBI agent? The fucking moron who decided to dance like an idiot in the club, dropped his gun, and then went to pick it up, fired it, and shot a guy? Yeah, well, he was granted permission Tuesday by a judge to still carry his gun while on and off duty. Chase Bishop, 29, this dipshit, was in a Denver courtroom. And Denver County Court Judge Fran Simonet. Remember that name? I don't know if they elect judges or not in... Denver. But yeah, is that a Fran? Is that a woman? Uh, I'm not sure. But the judge did grant Bishop's request to modify a protection order, allowing him to carry his service weapon in accordance with FBI rules. Uh, apparently, they did toxicology tests, and test results do not support further charges on him. And his attorney, Bishop's attorney, said prosecutors had offered the agent a plea deal, but declined to elaborate on what exactly that plea deal was. What a fucking... Dude, I, I have no... Uh, you guys know me. You know my stance on this. I have no patience for this. Now, I originally... I, and I saw... I interacted with some of you on Twitter who were saying, like, dude, this guy's never going to be fired. And, and I was like, normally I'd kind of agree with you. The protections for direct employees of government agencies are massive. Whereas if you were a contractor, he would have been he would have been fired before he even put that gun back in his waistband when it went off. And one person on Twitter said, like, oh, there's no way he's gonna get fired. And I was like, dude, he he shot someone. <laughs> An FBI agent shot a civilian. 
without any context to it. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, he had a, he was drawn down on a, somebody stabbing somebody with a knife and he accidentally shot a civilian while stabbing the dude, the criminal. This was straight, disgusting, gross negligence. How could he not be fired was my question. Now, not only has he not been fired, and I know it, it might take a while, but they're going to let him carry a gun. How, 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 how does that fucking happen? And why does some judge say that? Why isn't that up to the FBI? Why, where does this judge have any jurisdiction in this at all? I don't understand any of this, you guys. I really don't. Our justice system is so fucking stupid. Ay, ay, ay. Thank you for my man who sent this one to me. Actually, a couple of you guys <laughs> sent this one to me. A homeless Florida man with no arms has been charged with stabbing a Chicago tourist. <laughs> Miami Beach police say 46-year-old Jonathan Crenshaw held a pair of scissors with his feet and stabbed 22-year-old Cesar Coronado just after midnight on Tuesday. Uh, the Miami Herald reports that Crenshaw, this armless dude, is apparently a uh, popular fixture in the area. He's known for painting with his feet, I suppose, along a trendy spot in South Beach. According to the arrest report, Crenshaw said he was lying down when Coronado approached him and kicked him in the head. Oh, nice guy. Police say Crenshaw then stabbed Coronado twice and fled the scene. Now, Coronado claims that they were just walking along and they saw Crenshaw. They asked him for directions when he suddenly jumped up and stabbed Coronado in his arm. Why? <laughs> oh, that's who you're going to ask for directions? You're going to ask the fucking homeless guy face down with no arms? You're going to ask him for directions how to get somewhere? Okay. Good, good idea. Good idea. And further, we have a couple other uh, homeless stories here. What do I always tell you guys? Because you know we cover the homeless beat here quite a bit. I live with it every day. For those of you new to the podcast, I live by the beach. There's lots of fucking bums on the beach. Unlike all the SJW, social justice warriors, I live with this shit every day. I see it every day. I'm around it every day. Therefore, my fucking patience and tolerance level for it is extremely low. And uh, bums are a topic in which many people are, are uncomfortable discussing honestly. Because, you know, everybody wants to be very compassionate. Well, here's another one out of Oahu. And I always tell you guys, don't fucking engage with these people. I mean, I'm a grown man who weighs 210 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. And I fucking try not to purposely engage with them. And if I have to, I'm fucking ready to, like, fight at all times. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for this idiot, but still. You got to tell people to listen to my podcast, you guys, especially the females. You got to tell other females to listen so Uncle BK can fucking tell them the truth and what to do and what not to fucking do. Well, here's one of them. This Arizona tourist was visiting Oahu to celebrate her 28th birthday. She was attacked on Sunday afternoon by a homeless guy near the Waikiki police substation. And what happened? Well, the woman, the victim tried to intervene when she saw a youngless, younger homeless man yelling at an older homeless man and throwing his belongings into the street. So she apparently yelled out, don't do that, you aren't being nice. The younger homeless man 
calls her a name and then walks up and punches her in the face a bunch of times to the point where she lost consciousness and she was treated uh, with a concussion. And this is at the middle of the afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Don't, what are you doing, dude? Don't fucking do that. Oh, there's another story in here? Oh, and then the week before that, there was another woman who was sitting at Ala Moana Beach Park, again, the middle of the afternoon, and she heard a man yelling. She looked up, and she, she made the mistake of making eye contact with this dude. He walks over and starts punching her in the face. She was knocked unconscious and sustained severe injuries to her face. Another one, apparently there's been a string of these in Hawaii. Oh, who's Hawaii run by again? Oh, that's right. All the fucking good liberals. That's right. Another one, a Japanese couple was trying to use a bathroom at the Mother Waldron Neighborhood Park in Kakeko. And they were attacked in the middle of the day by another man. And they were punched in the face. <laughs> oh, man. You know, when is, it, when is there going to be pushback on this? When are we going to... You have to remove these people. And for the 28-year-old from Arizona, don't fucking... What are you doing, dude? What are you trying to be a helper? You're going to fucking really get in the middle of two homeless bums screaming at each other about their trash and piss bottles? That's what you're going to fucking do? I, I, it's, uh, their survival instinct, it's fucking disappearing. It really is disappearing. And our other story, again, on the homeless front. Oh, th- I love this. Police in Los Angeles are searching for a man who is suspected of abducting his friend's 13-year-old daughter over the weekend. She has been safely returned, thankfully. And what is the little twist on this? Well... This was, well, the child, I should say, uh, she has been identified because they were looking for her. She was 13-year-old Maria Roman, and she vanished on Saturday while in the company of a transient man identified as Michael Stewart. So, who's Stewart? Well, according to the uh, the LAPD, Roman, the kid, Her parents had forged a relationship with Stewart a few weeks ago after the girl met him at a bus stop in Van Nuys up in L.A. And they invited him to come over and do some work at the family house. And then on Saturday, the parents let this girl go with him to go pick up some clothes. And then they disappeared. Their cell phones got turned off and the girl's family were unable to reach them. Uh, good job, parents. Yeah, that's what you do. Let your 13-year-old daughter go off with the fucking homeless bum. Good fucking job. That is great. What else? Oh, yes, the Papa John's founder. Yeah, he, he got, he, boy, he, his, he got in a world of hurt. This is John Schnatner. Uh, let me preface this story. I, I, I do like to, every once in a while, I'll throw this in. If you, again, if you're new to the podcast, I read racial slurs when they're relevant to the story. So just if you're sensitive about that, just FYI, there's one coming up. And, you know, just on a side note, it was actually hard to find the context of this because John Schnatner, who is, of course, known as Papa John, he used the N-word on a conference call in May. And he confirmed the incident in an emailed statement to Forbes, and he resigned as chairman of Papa John's. And it was actually really hard for me to find the actual quote, because I was, I was like, what, so he's on a conference call, and all of a sudden he just starts 
<laughs> screaming out the N-word? Well, apparently he was he was trying to illustrate a point and he was using a story is what happened. Now, what it was is the call was arranged between Papa John's executives and marketing agency called Laundry Service. And it was designed as a role-playing exercise for Schnatner in an effort to prevent future public relations snafus. Now, Schnatner had caused an uproar in November of 2017 when he got into the debate over the national anthem protests in the NFL. Remember, he, and that's when he partly blamed the league for slowing sales at Papa John's Pizza. So on this phone call, apparently, he was asked how he would distance himself from racist groups online. Schnatter responded by downplaying the significance of his NFL statement, and he tried to say it was no big deal by pointing out, quote, Colonel Sanders called blacks niggers, end quote. <laughs> he said... In other words, his point is like, dude, I'm not that bad. Look, Colonel Sanders, he fucking said blacks were the ends. And then he went on to go on about how shit has changed since he was a kid. He apparently intended for the remarks to convey his antipathy to racism, but many individuals on the call found the remarks to be offensive. And apparently these people on the call went and ran to the media about it. And it's been blown up. And now they're taking his fucking, like, they're losing all kinds of sponsorship. This is snowballing now. And, you know, he's been big in the sports world. They have, like, stadiums named after Papa John's. And all these contracts are being pulled down. And, dude, like, fucking know your audience, guy. I mean, what are you thinking? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh, that is funny. Stupid idiot. He does seem like a dumb hillbilly, doesn't he? The guy. I mean, like, I, I look at guys like, I'm, I'm amazed. Like, you know, that's like my theory about how you can be a genius in one field and a stupid idiot in another field. Like, like so many stories we've covered where geniuses in one area just do the most stupid, fucked up, dumbass things. And you're just like, you question their intelligence. It's remarkable. And some of the people involved... The Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Braves, and the Atlanta United soccer teams, just to name a few, have suspended their sponsorships with Papa John's Pizza. So now this is going to snowball because the way things are done now is once one business drops you, then the reporters call up all the other businesses and say, why aren't you dropping them? And then they will drop them, and then it becomes like a whole thing. So that's what's going to happen, and basically Papa John's is – going to go away and they have a new ceo now who's desperately trying to explain to people that papa john's is more than just that one guy well good luck with that unbelievable um what else do i have oh god oh thank you to my man i uh, you know my many many sources burrowed deep into various government agencies are great and this what my my man in the uh department of homeland security forwarded me the long video where you can see the abolish ice people were up in portland and if you go to the twitter page of occupy ice pdx that's at occupy ice pdx they put out like a 15 minute long video and what they were doing was filming themselves blocking the entrance to an ice facility in Portland because they want ice to get out of Portland. And the whole video is entertaining, but it's very, very long. Thankfully, 
somebody put out a shorter video, and I'm going to play it for you, and it's fucking hilarious. Now, let me, there, there's so much of this that's good. Let me set the stage for the video. So basically, all these fucking losers, these are the Antifa guys, you know, all that. They're linking arms and they're blocking the entrance to a DHS thing. And finally, the supervisor shows up and says, okay, guys, it's go time. It's time to take all these people down and arrest them all. So that's the beginning of the video is you're going to hear them all being rushed and taken to the ground. And then one of the federal law enforcement agents, the ICE agents, is an African-American. And they start calling him the N-word repeatedly. So you... So there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, and all during this video, you're going to be hearing tasers and other non-lethal devices being deployed. I don't know anything about non-lethal devices. So the one where they're getting shot repeatedly by uh, you guys who are my Homeland Security guys, email me and tell me what this is. I don't think it's very effective. They're being shot by something. It looks like when it hits somebody, it explodes in like a white puff. And you'll hear it in the video. It's like, da 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 You'll hear like an automatic weapon thing, but it's like an, a less than lethal thing. I don't know what it is. It doesn't seem to work very well to me. I think you guys need to get on it. But let's play this video. And like I said, at the beginning, you'll hear them run up and start taking these guys to the ground. So let's hear how this one goes. Here we go. Oh, this is, yeah, here we go. Fucking Nazis. Job, right? Fucking pigs. Fucking Gestapo pieces of shit. Fucking goddamn pigs. Fuck you! Here comes the supervisor. Now they're going to take him down. And it begins. Hold tight! Hold tight! <laughs> hey! Jesse, Jesse. Taking him down. Fuck you! Fuck you! That weapon right there. Hold tight! Hold tight! Fucking scumbag! What the fuck is wrong with you? Fucking fascist! You fucking race trainer piece of shit! Talking to Black Elio right there. Now they're getting pepper sprayed. Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! at the poor black guy oh man I, like i said please go and watch the whole thing i was telling my man 
I fucking was literally watching this from my couch, the, the long version of this. I was laughing out loud. It was so fucking comedy. I'm like, okay, yeah, you fucking 15 string beans. Did you hear him saying hold tight? They did not hold tight. They lasted about three seconds before they were all torn apart by the uh, ICE agents and taken to the ground. That was fucking great, man. And in political theater, speaking of ICE, you guys know I mentioned that the Abolish ICE movement is gaining steam. Well, they introduced a bill. And again, continuing our theme of the headline, here's the headline. Well, let me give you what's actually happening first, and then I'm going to give you the headline that Politico went with. So three crazy Democrats, I don't have all of them in front of me. One of them is that dope from uh, Washington, Congress people. They, they introduced a bill to abolish ICE. They did. Three of them did. Okay, Democrats introduced a bill to abolish ICE. If you introduce a bill, can, presumably, you would like the bill to go to the floor and be voted on, no? Well, Republicans, knowing that the public does not support this at all, are saying, oh, you want you introduced a bill to abolish ICE? Sure, we'll bring that to the floor and have a vote on it. Well, now the now the very people who introduced the bill are saying they're not going to vote for their own bill. You see, so it's all political theater. They just want to put this in to satisfy their rabid resistance base. To say, look at us, we're resisting. Look at our bill. We're gonna abolish ICE, you guys. Look at we're resistors. And the Republicans say, sure, yeah, we'll bring that to a vote. No problem. Everybody put your name on it. And now they're backtracking furiously. Okay, so that's the scenario. You know what the fucking headline that Politico uses is? Quote, Republicans look to squeeze Dems with vote to abolish ICE. End quote. <laughs> Isn't that fucking unbelievable what they do with these headlines? Like it's the Republicans' fault they did this. Or they wrote a bill. Uh, yes. And even the moderate parts of the Democratic Party are like, dude, this is insane. But GOP members love this. They want to put Democrats on record backing a measure that polls have shown is not popular with voters other than these far left wingers. Oh, OK, here's some names. Uh, this was written by Representative Mark Pocan, Democrat of Wisconsin. Never heard of him. And the other two authors are Representative Pramila Jayapal, that's the one from Washington, and Adriano Espaillat, Democrat of New York. And they say they won't be part of a GOP political stunt. And I'm like, Politi you introduced a bill, dude. What the fuck? Oh, that's so great. Uh, so what they so now? Oh, I see what they're doing. So in an interview. They say, oh, well, we will relish the opportunity to debate immigration on the House floor. Okay, so that's what they want to do. So they want to debate, because when you know you introduce a bill, they debate on the House floor. And what they want to do is be able to grandstand on the House floor about uh, kids in cages or whatever their stupid talking point is. However, they, would, they do not want to actually abolish ICE. And the Congressional Hispanic Caucus is fuming over the liberal move to eliminate the agency. And say this is stupid. And indeed, as we've pointed out in this podcast many times, many of the victims of illegal immigration are other Latinos. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say most of the time, victims of illegal immigration are other Latinos. That's funny. Yeah, so they just want to agree. This is all symbolic fucking nonsense, you guys. That's it. That's all it is. 
Oh, man. I'm, dude, I, what time is it? How are we doing? Okay, let's keep going. I got a ways to go still. Uh, Pentagon, this is another one where people didn't read past the headline at all. The Pentagon has changed the GI Bill transfer eligibility window. And again, I saw all the social justice warrior veterans on Twitter going ape shit about this without knowing anything about it. And here's what it is. Troops with 16 or more years of service will no longer be permitted to transfer their post 9-11 GI Bill benefits to a spouse or child starting next year, Defense Department officials announced on Thursday. Currently, troops who serve a minimum of six years and commit to serving an additional four years are eligible to transfer the educational benefit to their dependents. Some who agree to the four years but are barred from completing it, such as troops who are injured and medically discharged, are permitted to keep this transfer. And recall that this transfer is only a couple of years old by itself. You've only been able to transfer your GI Bill benefits to your children for not very long. I don't remember exactly. But starting next year, troops will need to start the GI Bill benefit transfer process between 6 and 16 years of service. So you get a fucking 10-year window to do it. <laughs> and people are saying that this is like draconian. Uh, just so you know, the military is constantly adjusting bonuses, benefits, all that stuff, and able to retrain, retain troops as they see fit. Remember, during the height of the Iraq War, you know, in the mid-2000s, when they were giving special operators like hundred fucking thousand dollar bonuses? Like, I don't even know if that's still a thing or not, but I'm sure there's bonuses right now. They're, they always don't have enough cyber command troops, you know, people with computer skills. Their bonuses are probably very high. My point being, the, the bonus thing ebbs and flows in particular job areas and benefits ebb and flow. And this is just what they always do but again the time we live in it's fucking hysteria wild hysteria from one way to the next and like i told one dope who i won't fucking name here it's okay he muted me anyway i found out through a fucking uh an anonymous source of being the pussy that he is he's a very prominent member of resistance veteran twitter and he often tweets furiously and he's got many resistance followers. But like the pussy that he is, he muted me. So he can't even see my comments. But I told him, I'm like, you're a fucking hysterical idiot, dude. Did you even fucking read the article? Stupid. Uh, my girl Scarlett Johansson has withdrawn from a transgender movie role after a backlash. Yes. She has pulled out of the movie called... <laughs> is this really the name of the movie? <laughs> Yeah, it is the name of the movie. The name of the movie is Rub and Tug. <laughs> and she has faced backlash because she was supposed to play a transgender man. And uh, in the time we live in now, remember I talked about this a little bit last, uh, last podcast. You can no longer play a part unless you are actually that person. In other words, you can't play a white, you can't play a black guy unless you're a black guy, and you can't play a white guy unless you're a white. Well, no, you can do that because it's only a one-way street. But you certainly can't play a transgender if you aren't a transgender. That's the new time we live in. And Scarlett Johansson said she did make the decision to remove herself from this role because the ethical questions raised surrounding her casting. 
and actors have raised the issue that hired cisgender people for transgender roles. In case you don't know, cisgender means you're normal. You're like a regular person. You're like a dude with a penis who thinks he's a man. That makes you cisgender, as opposed to transgender. Rub and Tug, this movie, is based on the story. Oh, this is a true story, I guess. Is based on the story of someone named Dante Gill, also known as Tex, who ran a string of massage parlors in the 1970s and 80s that became fronts for prostitution dens. Scarlett Johansson was cast to play that character. <laughs> well, okay. So I, are they still doing the movie now? How many people are going to come out for the transgender guy playing this role versus Scarlett Johansson? I mean, Scarlett Johansson's a famous movie star. So uh, I'm not sure how how that's going to go. Oh, well. What else? Oh, we got some archaeological news. You guys know I love the, to cover the archaeology front. The oldest stone tools outside of Africa have been discovered in western China, scientists reported on last Wednesday. These tools, made by ancient members of the human lineage called hominins, these chipped rocks are estimated to be as much as 2.1 million years old. Hmm. And they're saying, it's going to have to take a big drink of water there. They're saying that this might add a new chapter to the story of this hominin revolution suggesting that some of these species left Africa far earlier than once believed and managed to travel over 8,000 miles east of their evolutionary birthplace. The age of these tools suggests that the hominins who made them were neither tall nor big-brained. Instead, they may have been small bipedal apes with brains about the size of a chimpanzee's. But yes, they're saying that they have to reevaluate their understanding of human prehistory in Eurasia. I know, we, we really don't know anything, do we? They are still saying that the human lineage, as far as they know, arose in Africa. And the ancestors of modern humans separated from those of chimpanzees over 7 million years ago. Uh, now... A little history here. In 1891, the Dutch explorer Eugene Dubois discovered a human-like skull in Indonesia that turned out to be half a million years old. They later named that skull Homo erectus, a, a species that was subsequently found at many other sites across Asia. Some specimens were as old as 1.6 million years old. Now, Asian fossils show that these hominins were about as tall as living humans and had fairly big brains. So those are a little bit different. This is fascinating. Now, these tools, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I'm, like, looking at a picture that this dude is holding up. And it, 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 it looks like a rock, <laughs> you know? It doesn't, like, get the idea like a hammer out of your head. This guy's holding up, it looks like a rock. Like you're like a rock that you would just walk over without a second thought. But they're saying this is some kind of tool. I mean, I I believe them, I guess. I just certainly don't know how you determine it's a tool versus a regular rock. And then that's why I'm just scrolling through the story, seeing if there's any clue to it. 
And there is a little bit. Uh, so researchers wanted to make a compelling case that these tools were really made by these homonyms and that they were very ancient. So they argued that the stones could not have been shaped the way they were naturally because the surrounding rock had formed from grassland soil, which did not contain stones the size and shape of the tools. Okay, I see. Still, I don't know. It looks like a fucking rock, you guys. Now, the other one, the other archaeological story that was very cool, they found a sarcophagus in Alexandria, Egypt this month. It's crazy. It is jet black and glistening with mud, and it's a giant granite sarcophagus that sits at the bottom of a pit in the Egyptian city of Alexandria, perfectly sealed, despite being 2,000 years old. Now, they found this for the first time at a construction site last, last month. And this is a rare find in Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is a like almost mythical port city where most traces of Egypt's ancient civilizations have long crumbled into the waves or lie buried beneath urban sprawl. So a contractor that was digging foundations for a building on Al Carmeli Street spotted the gleam of the burial vessel, which measures nearly nine feet by five. Archaeologists continued to dig by hand and were very excited to discover that the mortar seal around the heavy lid was entirely intact, which is very unusual, apparently, because there's been centuries of plunder by treasure hunters and professional tomb raiders that have basically upended many ancient Egyptian burial sites, but apparently they never found this one. Obviously, everybody fucking wants to know what's inside. And they... Um, why won't... So let's fucking crack this bitch open. <laughs> you know? The Egyptian Ministry of Antiquities has dated the artifact to the rule of the uh, Ptolemaic dynasty, the Greek royal family that reigned over Egypt for about three centuries following the death of Alexander the Great in 323 BC. And now they have excavated 10 other sealed sarcophaguses, and some had contained mummies, others had beads, amulets, or religious statues. So, when are they going to open this? Okay, here we go. At the very bottom of the story, they get to it. They say they don't know, but they plan on prying open the lid in the next couple days. So that'll be cool. All right, so look out for that one. Uh, on the racism front, more racism. I like the racisms. I don't know if you guys saw this video. A Chicago man has berated a woman for wearing a Puerto Rican flag shirt. Do I have this video? I do. Okay. So let's listen to this video of this man. And it's an old, crusty guy who's harassing a lady. Let's hear how this one goes. Well, first of all, the United States owns Puerto Rico, so we're part of the United States. We don't Correct. Officer, can you please? I'm renting this area, and he's harassing me about the shirt that I'm wearing. I did rent so it. I have a permit for this. Permit right, so can you please step away from me, sir? You can you please <laughs> step away from me? 
You're not going to change us. You know that? I'm not trying to change anyone. No. I'm just trying to come here no. for a birthday the world party. You're not going to change the United States of America. Okay. Period. Okay. You should not be wearing that in the United States of America. Okay. Yes, I am a Are citizen. You a nice, nice Can you please get away from me? Then you should not be Can you please that. get away from me? <laughs> United officer, officer, I feel not highly uncomfortable. Can you, you please citizen? grab him? Are you an American citizen? Uh, please, officer. This is what I'm wearing, guys. Puerto Rican this flag. is what I'm wearing. Can you please get away from me? Can you please get away from me? Can you please get away from me? Puerto Rico is an American state. Hey, buddy. I'm ex officer. I'm renting. I paid for a permit. For okay, you get the idea. This this goes on and on. What a fucking nut, dude. Oh my god. Yes, Puerto Rico is part of America. Now this cop, like, what do you? The cop. There's a cop as she. You heard her say in the video, and he's just fucking standing there. Like, dude. He, like, separate. I don't know. Because the, the thing is, the guy keeps like approaching her in like an aggressive manner. Now. He has been charged with a felony hate crime. Oh, now I have a feeling these charges are brought because this video went viral because he's being charged with two counts of felony hate crime. You get a felony now for yelling at somebody. Uh, see, this is what I'm saying. I don't like these viral stories because it it it, it motivates the prosecutors to bring extremely harsh charges for what should not be uh, is that if he he didn't touch her at all now he's harassing her yes charge him for harassment charge him for i don't know whatever else but this whole thing could have been avoided he had been charged with misdemeanor assault and misdemeanor disorderly conduct but since the video went viral he's now also being charged with Two counts of felony hate crime. That officer was a forest preserve police officer. I don't know what that is. And then nationwide, of course, the easiest thing to do is for politicians to grandstand. And that's probably what happened to, in this case, where everybody calls up the prosecutor's office, screams at them, so then they have to come down heavy-handed with, with, with crazy charges to uh, uh, assuage the outcry. I think those felony hate crime charges will be quietly dismissed. Now, important California news. Yes, the crazies that run this state continue. Oh, they went big on this one. There is major concern over a newly passed bill. Yes, it has already been passed. That could keep murderers out of jail with not even a record if they prove they have a mental disorder to be treated. Dude, they fucking have an obsession here with not sending people to prison in California. It's amazing. This was in a trailer bill, which was passed inside a wide-sweeping budget legislation and signed by Governor Jerry Brown that creates what they call a diversion program for all crimes, including felonies. What is a diversion program? Basically, long story short, is where you don't send somebody to prison. And they hide these bills and these large ones, and then they become law. This was part of AB Assembly Bill, AB 1810. And it creates a plan to keep people charged with any crime, including murder, mass shootings, and fatal DUIs out of jail. 
as long as they prove, quote, unquote, the crimes were committed because of a diagnosable mental health disorder that can be treated. So what does that mean? Let me break it down for you. You get in a car, right, after you've drank fucking 15 tequila shots. You get in your car, you drive, you rear-end a fucking family of five, and you kill all five of them, right? Well, all you got to do is say to the judge, judge, I'm an alcoholic. That's a provable disorder, right? And what this bill was is saying is you don't have to go to jail, and not only that, you fucking will have this expunged from your record. You believe this fucking shit? You could do this with anything. Hell, I could be, uh, I could go out and shoot up fucking uh, the grocery store and then uh, say, oh, no, it's not my fault. I have PTSD. This is insanity. And this bill was proposed by the California Department of State Hospitals to address a growing wait list of people deemed mentally incompetent to stand at trial. And they said if psychological evaluation determines that this is a mental disorder, which you can anything can prove a mental disorder, a person can bypass prison and complete a two-year diversion program. And if successful, criminal charges will be dismissed and records sealed. This is crazy. Now, district attorneys all over the place are shrieking about this. Even in California, we have district attorneys that are still care about crime. But they have to be much louder and more vigorous. You know, they, these district attorneys, listen, nobody gives a shit about your bland statement that you, a press release. You got to film yourself. You got to call the camera crew. You got to call the local news and film and have them film you pounding the podium. You know, pound the podium outside the fucking courthouse. You got to be passionate about this. <sighs> yeah, okay, so that's great. So more, more fucking, uh, more criminals on the streets. Exactly what we need here. Wonderful. Oh, where was that other story I had? Um, well, well, before I get to that, let's just go to this one. A, uh, you know, one of my favorite topics, a Texas man has been accused of having sex with his neighbor's dog, Philip Samuel Merson, 27 years old, was arrested shortly before 1.30 a.m. in Texas. This is in Bellmead, Texas. After a witness told police they saw the man sexually abusing a dog in a neighbor's backyard. I like how they described the animal. After uh, he saw police, he let go of the animal, described as a mixed breed, medium-sized male dog. And he tried to run away from the area. Oh, it was, a, it was and it's a male dog too. So not only is he, not only is he a fucking dog fucker, he's a gay dog fucker. Good for you, bud. And sadly, yes, the dog has probably had some pretty severe injuries, but it's it has not died yet, so that's something. So, wow. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, man, what else? Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. I had this other... You know, normally I do, you guys, I try to group like stories with each other, but, you know, sometimes time limits and everything, I just don't get around to it. So bear with me. I know I skip around a little bit this week. What do you want? This is the Perils of Live show. So, an African-American millionaire and his Manhattan consultant's son were victims, they claim, of a July 4th hate crime in their hotel room during a Florida's vacation. Now, you guys know I'm always suspicious of hate crimes that you know, aren't captured on video. 
as as we've documented, as I have documented many, many times, a lot of these turn out to be fake, and we go back and listen to old podcasts, many of them. So, they were staying at an upscale hotel in Sarasota, Florida, and they 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 said while they were gone to breakfast, they came back to their sixth-floor room, and they found a Post-it note left next to the next to their bed on a lamp that said again race, racial slur here quote you're a nigger end quote <laughs> who, who, who would do this so uh, they called the police uh, no suspects have been named the incident was especially wounding in light of Frank Davis's, that's his name, uh, the uh, African-American millionaire. He has a li- lifelong efforts to promote diversity. And he said that this is very upsetting to him, and it is critical that we all be champions for diversity and inclusion every day. While the hotel refunded all the Marriott points the family had used on their planned six-day visit, it refused them to move them to a comparable location. And the matter is being investigated. Okay, so I, I have I, I, I'm I'm extremely skeptical of this. Who who would able to who would be able to get into their room, first of all, unless it was an employee who worked there? And who would do this? If you're an employee who worked there, that's what, you, you really think they're going to fucking put a post-it note with, a, with, a, with this message? Uh, very skeptical of this, you guys. Could it be true? I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not buying it, though. I need to see a lot more evidence. On the military front, Two Navy SEAL leaders have been relieved of duty after sexual misconduct evalu- uh, allegations. Yeah, this is the commander and the senior enlisted officer of a U.S. Navy SEAL team that have been relieved after investigations into alleged sexual harassment and sexual assault while their unit was deployed to East Africa. Both senior leaders had been sent home from Africa. You get sent home from a deployment, that's a big fucking deal. This is the commanding officer uh, named Commander Jared Donaldson and Master Chief John Franklin and were relieved from their position by Captain Jamie Sands, who is the commander of Naval Special Warfare Group 2. And they have been reassigned. As I said, pulled from deployment after the allegations were made. One of the team leaders was investigated for the alleged inappropriate touching of a female service member during the deployment, and they are both being investigated for sexual harassment. Not a whole lot of other detail on that because, you know, it's uh, military. It's kind of hard to find detail on that. And continuing on that front, the guy, have you guys, you know, guys know who Henry Cavill is? He's the guy who played Superman in the DC Universe films. You know, the latest Superman car, uh, movies. Well, he's he's he got in a little bit of trouble with the Me Too people because they were asking him about it, the Me Too movement and all that, and he said he. He, you could. Nobody wants to be asked about that because no matter what you say, it's going to be wrong, and people are going to jump all over you. 
That's the thing, you guys. Normal people, you can tear apart statements made by anybody when you're speaking off the cuff. Because normal people don't couch every word that passes their lips. You know what I'm saying? They don't. How fucking boring would life be like that? Imagine if we all talked like Obama did. Remember when he, whenever he was not in front of a teleprompter, Obama, the way he talked? He thought and agonized very carefully over every word that passed his lips. That's what made him such a boring fuck. So Cavill's crime was, he said, the Me Too movement had made him more fearful to approach women. And he said, look, I'm old-fashioned. My philosophy has always been to, like, you know, chase women. And he said, quote, it's very difficult to do that now because of these new rules in place. Because then it's like, well, I don't want to go up and talk to her because I'm going to be called a rapist or something. And he went on to say, now you can't really pursue someone further than when they say no. But then there's the, oh, why'd you give up? And it's like, well, because I didn't want to go to jail. <laughs> and now women are jumping all over him for this. Well, these are the, I told, remember when the Weinstein thing fucking first came out, you guys, and I was the only one who said this is going to backfire on women? And clearly, I'm not talking about the more egregious versions of this, like guys pulling out their dicks and all that. Obviously, that is like sexual assault, clearly. But guys, you know, having a few drinks, they make an offhand comment, and then they get like fired from their jobs. This is all going to lead to women being shut out. I'm fucking, I told you this months ago, and I'm telling you now. No, the the boys down at the office, when they want to go to the bar and knock back a few after work, they're not going to want the chicks to be around anymore because now every fucking little slight or off-color joke is going to get them shit-canned. So all this is going to do is make them not want to have the females around. That's what it's going to be, and it's going to be a boys' club, and you're going to be fucking pushed off to the side. Who fucking wants that around? Who wants the chick around where you have to like watch everything you say, especially when you've had a few cocktails? Uh, and then Harvey Weinstein, for what, speaking of him, you know, he did an interview with this guy, uh, this dude. Uh, who was this? This guy named, uh, this is out of the Spectator UK paper. And Weinstein said, look, he's pleading not guilty. And you know what his defense is going to be? He's, his defense is basically going to be like, look, I offered acting jobs in exchange for sex, but so does everyone and they still do. Yeah, that was another thing I pointed out. This has been going on in Hollywood forever. And, you know, a lot of times this is a business decision by women, especially, look, it's it's hard to be a, a woman coming up in Hollywood because once you reach a certain age, yeah, nobody, there's going to be a lot fewer roles for the aging female movie star. There just is. Because there's always another younger, hotter chick to take your place. So do some women make a business decision? Like, okay, look, dude, I'll give you a fucking over-the-pants H.J., if you cast me in this movie, and it's it's and a lot of this is consensual, it's a mutually agreed thing, and that's what and that's this is what Weinstein's deal is going to be. Now, from what I've read, Weinstein was certainly not consensual, but this is going to be his defense. Now, the Hollywood Reporter, right after this interview came out, well, this Spectator columnist, this guy named uh, Taki Theodorakopoulos, Greek name. 
he's retracting his own interview with Weinstein in which he had said that. He basically quoted him. And shortly after the story was published, Weinstein's lawyer said Weinstein was misquoted. So the author issued a retraction because he said this was such this was only a social visit, not a real interview. I don't okay, weird. I don't know what that means. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how well that's going to go for you. Uh, in further, I God, I've got some good, I've got some good audio this week. In another, uh, some other good audio. Did you guys hear about this city council meeting where this guy wants to legalize genital massages, and he came up to the city council meeting to plead his case? Well, he came prepared. This was in Lawrence, Kansas. And this guy came up to the podium. You know how they give you, everybody gets like a few minutes to speak or whatnot? Well, this dude came up to the podium, and he basically wanted to talk about why he thinks that genital massaging should be legal. And he's a very strange-looking guy, too. So he's walking up the podium, and let's uh, hear what he has to say. Flowers. If licenses and regulations help stop sex trafficking, then if Kansas truly wanted to put an end to sex slavery, shouldn't they allow grown adults to engage in prostitution legally and then regulate and license that? When you ban something outright, that forces what you ban onto the black market. And the black market is where shady stuff starts happening. Case in point, many years ago, my friend came over with some marijuana and we smoked it. Shortly after, we both started feeling something wasn't quite right. That's right, it was laced. Then not too long ago, Colorado legalized marijuana, and now a lot of the marijuana being sold around here comes from dispensaries in Colorado, and you hardly ever hear tales anymore of people buying pot that's laced. Hmm, I say the same basics apply to prostitution. If prostitution was legalized and reasonably regulated, then most people would rather deal with a legitimate licensed prostitute than have to deal with pimps and potential sex slaves. Strong point. So I propose this. The city allows for licensed masseurs to give genital massages if the masseur and the client both agree to it. We let someone get naked and, and have every other part of their body touched and rubbed by a massage therapist. True. Hell, we let proctologists spend their day fingering men and sticking things up their anus. So if someone wants to yank a guy's crank, I say let him. Picture this, a big old sweaty fat guy. Would getting him off with your hand actually be that much worse than giving him a full body massage, getting up in there under the folds of fat, yeah. or being the proctologist, sticking your finger up his ass. And that brings me to my last point. This is about a group of people imposing their morality on the rest of society. If a grown adult wants a, a hand job, another grown adult, and another grown adult is willing to give one for money, then let them. That's both freedom and capitalism, and that's the foundation of our country. All right, you know what? He makes a fucking compelling argument, you know? Yeah, what difference is it? If you are, he's got a point. What's the difference between massaging some dude's gross fat folds and then just finishing him off? Strong point, sir. I'm with my man. Let's fucking legal. Let's legalize the rub and tug. The fucking steam and cream, as my good friend uh, Storm likes to call them. 
Oh God! You know his he doesn't help his case because he's like got this weird like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. He's got that like bowl cut and he's very skinny and he's a redheaded ginger guy. He looks kind of creepy. And it is funny. There's just like this old dude sitting behind him in the audience who's like kind of smirking as he as he goes on. It's pretty funny. Uh, in Whittier, a man suspected of attacking his wife with a chainsaw has been deported eleven times since two thousand and five. <laughs> uh, that's nice yes Alejandro Alvarez Viegas attacked his wife in their home with their three children in there with a fucking chainsaw and then he fled in a stolen car nice guy she underwent surgery and she is expected to survive that's fucking crazy uh, yes, immigration officers have lodged a detainer requesting the local authorities notify ICE when he is released. And he has been deported 11 times since 2005 and has a criminal history of DUI, among other things. So, dude, she's fucking lucky. You imagine how much a chainsaw is going to chew you up? Holy shit. Like, basically, you could just be like, touch somebody with it. A university professor, here's one for my uh, my Australian listeners. A 44-year-old university professor has been caught masturbating at a Sydney tourist hotspot. Oh, no, no, no. No, he's a, I'm sorry. He is a serial masturbator. Yes. So he had already been caught masturbating at the Sydney tourist hotspot. Well, he's been caught again doing it in front of two young women at a hostel. This is Macquarie University professor Bernard Vandenberg, 44, who is visiting from the Netherlands. And he is being charged with exposing himself and masturbating in front of two women aged 18 and 23 at the Casa Central Hostel in Chippendale. Like, what, how do these guys think it's going to go when they do that? I've always wondered that. Like, you know, they pull out the dick, start wailing away on it. And what do they think? The chick is going to be like, oh, my God, that's so fucking hot. Come here with that. Could Get over here, you. Is that how you think it's going to go? That's funny, dude. Good for you, man. And he's an academic. So, you know, he's like mentally unstable anyway. Uh, what else? A Houston mom has been arrested because she tried to sell her two-year-old daughter for sex to a man who offered to pay her 1200 bucks. Nice mom. Sarah Peters, 25, yep. She had agreed to bring the child to Conroe, Texas in February to a man who had offered her $1,200 to engage in sexual acts with the little girl. And she thought she was going to make some money on this, right? Well, guess what, guys? The man she made the arrangement with was not actually intending to have sex, but instead was Detective Jerry Serrett, who was working on a task force that focuses on internet crimes against children. Oh, he reached out to her because he got a tip about a woman in the area who was into incest, and I guess that was this woman. During one of his exchanges with Peters, she asked him if he knew of any guys that would pay to have fun with, insert victim's name here. Oh, no, she didn't do that. Oh, my God. 
In another exchange, she sent nude photos of the little girl. Oh, my. Just. (sighs) I ask it every week. How many of these fucking people are out there? (sighs) A wife of a Louisiana sheriff's deputy is charged with his murder after she called 911 to say he'd tried to commit suicide by shooting himself in the head. Well, he didn't. She fucking shot him. Chantel Wagner, 35 years old, was arrested on Wednesday following a month-long investigation into the shooting death of her husband, Troy Smith, who is a Jefferson Paris Sheriff's Sergeant. So she had called 911 on Father's Day to report that her husband had tried to kill himself at the home by shooting himself. So the cops show up. His his own colleagues showed up from the sheriff's department, and they found him in the bedroom suffering from a single gunshot wound to his head. He was still alive. He was rushed to the hospital. He did eventually succumb to his injuries. But they just revealed that they established his injury was, in fact, not self-inflicted after conducting a series of interviews and examining forensic evidence. So they arrested her at the home. She is being charged with second-degree murder. Only second degree, huh? Maybe it was in the heat of the moment, I guess, supposedly. Hmm. (laughs) This headline. (laughs) These headlines this week. How about this headline? Paraplegic man ordered an exotic dancer to his home and then zip-tied and tasered her when she refused him sex. This guy's mugshot is great. He's okay, so he's he's like a black dude. Okay, imagine like a black dude with a big fro, except the middle of the fro is gone, revealing your bald head, but the sides of the fro are still like very, you know, froey and sticking out. That's what he looks. It looks like somebody like a cartoon character. Like he got blasted in the top of the fro with a shotgun that left him bald on top, but it's still on the sides. That's what he looks like. Johnny Thompson. He is paralyzed from the waist down. He hired this woman, the exotic dancer, to come to his house, uh, home in Georgia with he, that he shares with his parents. And when she arrived, he allegedly pulled a gun on her, forced her into a back room where he had cameras set up, demanded that she take off her clothes, and then tied her ankles with zip ties. Holy fuck, dude. And... So the chick decided to fight back, good on her. Well, when she did, he fired the taser at her. Not once, but twice, right in the chest. Well, she managed to cut herself free, escaped through a window, and called 911. When police arrived, they found the woman partially naked with the prongs from the taser still lodged in her chest. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Uh, dude. What are we going to do, you guys? What are we going to do with these people? Oh, I got a bunch more. Uh, There's some good ones. I know I'm going through these pretty quick because there's so many good ones. How about this one? And where is it? I just lost it. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, Okay, get ready for this. Strap yourself in for this one. Where was this? This Oh, this is in South Africa? Yeah, Johannesburg. A... (laughs) I'm trying... Okay. A man is claiming that his wife making jokes about his penis size drove him to murder. 
but that was not enough to save him from a life behind bars in an English prison. Okay, so this is in England. I'm sorry. This was in England. He's from South Africa. He was born in Durban. And he was sent to jail for life by the Birmingham Crown Court in England for killing his wife, Melanie, on New Year's Eve. He's 44. He had told the jury that he could not remember plunging the knife into his wife's chest at their home in Birmingham, near Birmingham. His defense was that he suffered a loss of control because his wife, also South African, had nearly always belittled him about the size of his penis, and he'd wanted to be found guilty of the lesser offense of manslaughter. And his other excuse was that he flew into a rage because the two had begun arguing about his wife's lesbian tryst with her 30-year-old gal pal in their... (laughs) in the couple's bed just two days earlier. This argument began after a night of heavy drinking. And in a drunken rage, he stabs his wife with a chef's knife in the chest. And shortly after stabbing his wife, he called the emergency services and told the operator, I have killed my wife. I can't believe I fucking did it. I am fucking devastated. I don't know why he did it. And that's going to be his defense, which, or I'm sorry, that was his defense, which did not work, that she used to tease him about his small penis, and he flew into a rage. But uh, they said, too bad, that's not going to do it. A woman has sued United Airlines, claiming a passenger sexually assaulted her. <laughs> and, yeah, this is Ann Dowling. And she says she fled to her business class seat when she awoke to find a guy named Mont Weddle rubbing her crotch and masturbating under a rug, blanket I guess, during a flight from Hong Kong to San Francisco. She says she reported 47, the 47-year-old guy to a flight attendant, but was told to resolve the incident by returning her to her seat to go talk to her attacker. So she, she got up and ran and told the flight attendant, and the flight attendant's like, no, no, you guys should go talk it out. What an idiot. The cabin crew eventually moved her to another seat further along the same row. However, Weddle, who was a veteran freight pilot with FedEx, continued to torment her as she got off the flight, like taunting her about it, grabbing his dick or what? Dude. Weddle is said to have uh, allegedly drank three or four vodka sodas on the flight and told attendants he had been away from home for two months and was horny. I imagine waking up to that shit. I, I don't know how you ladies do it, honestly, especially with all these fucks out there. It's crazy shit. Uh, what else? I'm trying to just go through a, a few of these. Oh, oh, this one's big. Okay, this yeah, I got to do this one. C- again, California, gun owners, this is for you. Listen up. Remember how I told you for a long time? Okay, for a long time, we had the, the bullet button guns and all those assault rifles. were They were legal with several modifications, right? Well, they passed a bill and where you had to First of all, they banned the sale of these, even the bullet button assault rifles. That was in 2016. So they banned the sale of them, 
and obviously many people had already purchased assault rifles, well, you were supposed to go register them with the state of California by uh, July 1st. And if you don't, then it's either a misdemeanor or a felony, depending on how they want to do it. Well, the gun groups have launched a lawsuit saying that many, many people tried to register their weapons on the California Department of Justice's website, but the system kept crashing. So now tens of thousands of gun owners were prevented from registering their bullet button assault weapons before July 1st since through no fault of their own. Wow, this is insane. He one of the one of the plaintiffs here who tried to register his weapon, he said he called the Department of Justice service line on July 2nd, the day after the deadline, to ask what he should do. The person responding told him that the registration was his responsibility and they could not extend the deadline any further. (laughs) The Department of Justice did not respond to questions about problems with the registration system, how many people were able to successfully register, and whether they would prosecute individuals who were unable to register their guns. The lawsuit also alleges the department did not properly conduct a public education program to notify bullet button assault weapons owners that they had to register their firearms. Oh, here's some numbers. Nearly 5,000 applications to register these assault weapons had been filed by February, but the attorney for the California Rifle and Pistol Association, one of the uh, filing lawsuit believes that many more Californians did not even know they had to register. Well, yeah, because if if they only got 5,000 applications, there's almost certainly more than 5,000 rifles in California of that type. Not me, of course. I I would never, ever have one of those guns. And even if I had had one of those guns, I would most certainly, I probably, as, as far as I know and can recall, I remember definitely possibly dropping them into the ocean on accident when I was hi- uh, when I was uh, uh, fishing. Yes, that's what happened. I dropped them in, and they are gone. No guns here of any kind, luckily. Yeah, so basically now they're, they're, tr- they're just trying to make criminals out of all you fucking gun owners who've never hurt anyone or done anything. It's fucking unbelievable, dude. Uh, Two people have pled guilty to manslaughter in a gas explosion that killed a fire chief. That was the, in New York. Did you guys hear about this one? I didn't even hear about this. Yeah, New York City Fire Department. Two Two men pled guilty to manslaughter charges in the death of Michael Fahey. And he's a battalion chief at the, in the uh, fire department in New York. And this, he was the incident commander on a call about a gas smell coming from a two-story house on West 234th Street in September of 2016. Well, the house exploded when they went to go enter it, sending wood, bricks, and a large part of the building's roof tumbling down. He was struck by debris and killed. He was only 44 years old. It turned out it was a marijuana grow house. They found numerous marijuana plants as well as heaters and fertilizer at the site. And the second floor windows were covered by foil panels, preventing the floor from being ventilated of the leaking gas. The police had gotten a tip that that house was being used to grow marijuana. And the two men charged in the case, Garibaldi Castillo, 
and Julio Salcedo pled guilty in the Bronx Supreme Court to second-degree manslaughter and first-degree criminal possession of marijuana. Oh, that's a sad story right there. What else? Oh, God, this one is fucking terrible. Here's, here's two terrible stories for you. For one, in Minneapolis, the driver, a driver of a truck dislodged an 800-pound boulder that killed a mother and her daughter. This was in near uh, a suburb called Rosemount. And this guy, this driver, Joe Sezek, 33 years old, did not stop at the scene of an accident. And he was driving a dump truck that was, and the boulder was in the back of his dump truck, 800 pounds. It came flying off his dump truck and it fucking hit a car containing Karen Christensen, 67, and her 32-year-old daughter, Jenna. They were headed north. The truck went over a railroad crossing. The boulder came out somehow, tumbled, struck the family's car, and they fucking died at the scene. God damn, dude. You just don't know when you're, it's your fucking time, do you? Mm. And the other shitty story that happened, a 10-year-old girl was killed in New Boston, Texas after she was electrocuted, reaching behind a clothes dryer in her family home to rescue her kittens. Oh, God. They were renting the home, and they, th- and they say they think the electronics in the uh, house were fucked up. Her name was Greenlee Marie, and she was trying to get these small kittens that were, I guess, hiding behind the dryer. And she just reached behind there and fucking got electrocuted and was sadly killed. That's fucking terrible, man. God, this is depressing. How much <laughs> How much fucking more time do we have? All right, let's go through some quick hits. Sarah Palin said she was duped by the actor Sasha Baron Cohen. You guys know him better maybe as Borat, the movie. Remember that? He was also in the Ricky Bobby movie with... Uh, Will Ferrell, where he played the French guy. Remember him? And he was the Ali G. He had a long-running show. Well, he has a new show coming out on Showtime. And he's basically doing his same shtick. He's showing up in various outfits trying to fool people and, and doing embarrassing things then making them feel stupid. Well, Sarah Palin apparently was one of his victims and said that she and one of her daughters were tricked into apparently appearing on the British Comedian's new TV series. She was interviewed by what appeared to be a disabled veteran in a wheelchair, who turned out to be, they're saying, Sasha Baron Cohen in disguise. And he basically, he's kind of feeling some heat on this, because, you know... Look, it's it, I, I'm all about ridiculing people. Uh, you really you're gonna portray yourself as a fucking combat wounded veteran in a wheelchair. I don't think any of that should be illegal. By the way, I've been long on record for it. I don't believe in like stolen valor laws or anything. But what I do think is is that you're a fucking piece of shit, honestly. And this is really your only shtick because everything else, almost everything else you've done, has been a fucking failure. 
other than the Ali G show and that, like he's kind of tried to make it as a straight actor and it's kind of not worked out. So he's going back to his whole, this, this thing now. Yeah. Hey, like, Hey, I'm all about it, dude. I'm all about ridiculing politicians. I'm all about doing that, but I can still think you're a fucking dickhead. And he is. We had a California prosecutor out here put on leave. Yeah, he got in trouble. He started talking shit about uh, Maxine Waters and Michelle Obama and Mexican immigrants. And (laughs) the social media, it's the death of everyone, isn't it? Deputy District Attorney Michael Selium used derogatory terms to describe Maxine Waters, including a vulgar term for part of the female anatomy. The New York Times is too delicate to reprint that term, but in another story, I saw that the word was, in fact, cunt. And on Friday, he's a prosecutor in the San Bernardino office, and he is with a unit targeting gangs for the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office. And apparently he also wrote that a person who had been shot by the police got exactly what he deserved... And, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, New York Times, like, I like your accuracy, but you can't have this Dell. I want to, I fucking want to know the quotes. Don't say a vulgar term. I just had to t- hit out so I can get the real story and leave that. In you. Oh, here it is. Here's the, uh, here it is. Here's the quotes from a real, the San Bernardino Sun, which is the source I should have used. They print the quotes. Here's what he wrote. Of Maxine Waters, he said, quote, Being a loud-mouthed cunt in the ghetto, you would think someone would have shot this bitch by now, end quote. And the police shooting of a civilian, he wrote, quote, That shitbag got exactly what he deserved. You reap what you sow. And by the way, go fuck yourself, you liberal shitbag, end quote. Now I can certainly appreciate those comments to some extent. I would I don't want I don't think anybody should shoot Maxine Waters. I think she's a fucking batshit nut job who should be retired by her constituents. They certainly don't wish harm on her. But you dude, you're a fucking prosecutor. What are you doing, dude? Ugh. What are what are you thinking? What are these people thinking? You go on fucking Facebook? And this is how you spend your days doing this shit? Uh, again, what do you, they're dumb. There's dumb fucking people here. Oh, man. Let's keep going. We got a few more to go. There was a murder-suicide. Oh, man, I hate when they do this to these kids. A father shot dead his wife and young three children before killing himself in Delaware after losing his job. Matthew Edwards is the name of this fuckhead. How could you fucking put... I'm looking at a picture. He's got three nice-looking kids, nice-looking wife, nice-looking family. How could you fucking pull out a gun, point it at a fucking five-year-old kid's head and pull the trigger? That is shocking to me. And a, and a teenage boy discovered the bodies, which were all found upstairs in, the two, in their two-story home that they had. And neighbors said that he had been emotional the day before he was found dead because he revealed he had just lost his job and was having marital problems. Neighbors said they had seen the family playing outside their home just the day before. Just fucking god-awful, dude. 
Leave the kids out of this. Please kill your fucking self, okay? Oh, in celebration of San Diego Pride, the San Diego Pride Parade is a very big deal. It's where all the uh, the gays are all out having a good old time in their assless chaps right now. Good for you. <laughs> uh, it's funny, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I, hey, you guys know my thing on the gays. I like having the gays around. They're they're very good. They have lots of disposable income. They're good for capitalism. They are very usually high income earners. It's all great. But I, I'm not going to your parade, okay? I'm just, it's not, I'm not into it. Fucking by all means, go fucking have your parade. I'm not going to the gay pride parade. But that is going on right now in San Diego, and it's one of the larger ones. So in celebration of that, here's a headline for you. A lesbian couple are charged with neglect after they repeatedly gave their young son marijuana for good behavior and taught him how to roll a joint. Well, Melissa Burton and Susan Glasscock, both 36 years old, are now facing child neglect charges after Burton's son said they gave him marijuana at least 50 times in the last three months and taught him how to roll a joint. An investigation into them was launched after the boy got into a fight with Glasscock. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. The couple were arguing about how much money Burton and her son had made selling video games at a store when the boy tried to calm them down. Glasscock, who weighs 270 fucking LBs, then allegedly pushed her girlfriend's 100-pound son and pinned him to the ground. Burton then pulled her girlfriend off of her son, and the boy punched her before fleeing from the department, and he found the police and told them what would happen. Jeez, this is a fucking, this is one, this is a fucking big bitch, dude. I mean, neither of them, and they're both hideously ugly. Uh, th these are not the lesbians in your fucking Pornhub browsing history, that's for sure. All right, we're running out of time. Let's keep going and fucking finish up some. An American woman who's 27 years old celebrating her first wedding anniversary in Mexico City is shot and killed by a stray bullet while leaving a taco restaurant with her husband. Holy shit. When your time's up, it's up, isn't it? She'd been out with her husband and friends and was killed at 5.50 a.m. Early, early in the morning. Probably out partying all night. Do you, can you imagine that you're walking along with your wife and all of a sudden she just collapses because she just fucking caught around to the fucking head? Yep, they. Uh, she was shot by one of two men on a motorcycle who opened fire in an attempt to kill a bouncer. She was a pharmaceuticals analyst from San Francisco who was in Mexico with her husband, James Hoover, to celebrate their first year of marriage. Ugh. And this, this shooting, in case you're wondering, no, this was not the ghetto. It was the actual opposite of it. It was in an upscale neighborhood of the tourist-friendly city and as popular with visitors. Oh, man, dude. I'm not fucking... I did just Mexico's a failed state. It is. They have fucking no control. And you see this lunatic new president they have. He's basically going to give the cartels free reign to do whatever they want. So it's just going to even get worse. A 63-year-old man joined the Navy somehow. I don't... How, how does this... Oh, I see. I just found out why. 
Because at first I saw the headline. I'm like, oh, I got to talk about this in a podcast. But I don't read behind the headlines because I kind of want to surprise myself. So yeah, 63 years old, but he's a heart surgeon. That's how he joined the Navy. He got a waiver that permitted him to enter the reserves a year past the typical age limit because people with his skills are in demand. Good for him, man. This is Dr. Tyrone Krauss. He says, look, surgically, I feel I'm in my prime. I can still operate very well. And if I can give back and help some of our young men and women in the military, that is what I want to do. Oh, this is cool, too. Krauss was commissioned as a commander Friday aboard the destroyer USS Ramage, where his 27-year-old daughter, Laura, is an ensign and performed the ceremony. That's super cool. She was the first person he saluted, so he saluted his own daughter. That's always, that's very cool. He was inspired to join the Navy after speaking with his daughter's recruiter, who was in the medical corps, and mentioned that the Navy had a shortage of surgeons and decided to go to it. Man, this guy sounds like some kind of fucking genius, dude. Not only is he a doctor, he had already worked in private practice, medical practice for decades when he earned a law degree at night after his hospital shifts while he was in his 50s. He also moonlighted as a philosophy professor at Rutgers in New Jersey. Wow, this sounds like a fucking impressive guy, man. I'm, I'm very, I have a ton of respect for what I call renaissance men. I guess that's the word you'd use. Basically, people who, are, have, who have an interest in a wide variety of activities and are competent in those activities, I'm always very impressed with those people. Because there's something, it, it, it just shows they have this drive. They've got a crazy, you know, intellectual curiosity that just keeps them going. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very respectful of that. So good on him, and I, I know he's very much going to be an asset to the Navy. So that's great. Oh, man, let's keep going. A, pa a Florida pastor, <laughs> I'm, I'm dying in here. It's so hot in my apartment right now. A Florida pastor has been arrested for taking a picture up a parishioner's dress as she bent over to put his child in a car seat. <laughs> nice guy. 31-year-old Brian Kenyon Jr. admitted to taking a photo up her dress. She said that when she bent over, she felt skin against her leg and turned to see him holding his cell phone. He was a preacher at the Church of Christ at Deltona in Florida. <laughs> oh, God. She was watching his kids and after the service went to his office to return the kids. So... He's like, hey, put this, uh, put my kid in the car seat. So she turns around, and she sees this fucking joker holding his cell phone. And he denied it at first, but then finally admitted to taking the photo and described his act as a dark moment. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. You guys remember we talked about that one guy a while back, the Mexican citizen with more than 40 aliases. Remember, we, he admitted to stealing more than $350,000 in government benefits while living in Tijuana somehow. Remember, I said like he, he must have been some kind of crazy genius to pull this off. Well, he was sentenced to Friday to 37 months in federal prison. That was Tijuana resident Andres Avelino Andrega. 
66 years old. He somehow got a U.S. citizen's birth certificate in 1980 and then used that identification to obtain a social security number and California driver's license. And with those documents, he was able to fraudulently obtain government benefits from federal, state, and local agencies, including nearly $250,000 in illicit social security benefits. And also got Medi-Cal health benefits that he was not eligible for and caused a loss to the state of California in excess of 100 grand. So he's fucking going away for a while. I mean, we're paying for it, you know, so still kind of sucks for us. A Philadelphia developer, he was riding as a passenger in a Mercedes-Benz. He was stabbed to death by a delivery guy on a bicycle. Jesus. This was, these these militant cyclists are fucking insane. This is Sean Schellinger, 37 years old, was killed Thursday night after a cyclist interjected in a dispute between two drivers and stabbed Schellinger. Philadelphia cops are seeking the suspect who is still at large. Wow. So they're saying, be ready. I'm telling you, people are crazy. You got to be ready to fight at all times. Always be prepared to defend yourself at all times. And let's get to my final story. You guys know I like to end it on a high note. How about this one? (coughs) Excuse me. A man found his wife and her lover dead in a garage from carbon monoxide poisoning after she paid for him to fix her car by having sex in that car. (laughs) And they left the car running, and the fucking chick died. Both of them died. This was in Newark. Yeah, so they're sitting there fucking in the car while it's running with her mechanic lover, and her body was found by her husband. Yeah, 39-year-old Tamika Hargrave, and her lover was 56. And police sources say they believe Hargrave had been paying the man to fix her car by having sex with him. Her husband... Kahali Johnson told ABC he found their bodies inside the garage along with the car that had been left running in the closed garage. He had gone to investigate after a strong gas odor entered his apartment before 9 p.m. on Monday and found the pair fucking laid out and dead. Okay, so, okay, well, that's weird. I wonder how that happened because... So they weren't fucking, like, in the act, apparently, because they weren't, like, you know, slumped over with his, like, dick still inside her. The husband says when he found them, they were both outside the car, which had been left running. He says the mechanic is laid out on the ground, and she's just a few feet away, laid out on the ground as well. Well, I guess it's, okay, so maybe she was, like, maybe on top of him and slumped over. And... Yeah, that's how she was paying for her car to fucking get get fixed, was to fucking bang the mechanic in the garage while the fucking thing filled up with carbon monoxide and they both died. Dude, that's that's it, you guys. That is all it. That is fucking two and a half hours. I'm sweating my ass off. This was a rough one like it is every week. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm completely spent. Ugh. 
All this for you people, because I love you so much. I like doing it. I enjoy doing the podcast. Keep reaching out to your friends. Tell them to check out the podcast. And I want to thank all you guys. Like I said, it's going to be another monster month, and it just fucking keeps going. Honestly, I kind of wish I could stop doing this, but I can't in good faith stop doing this when the numbers can keep going up. It just doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to try to keep going on. Please go ahead, do follow me at BK Actual. And hey, if you do enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon.com. If you go to Patreon.com, just type in BK Actual, you'll see my page and fucking pledge a buck or two. I mean, less than a cup of coffee. And you're getting, what, 10 hours of entertainment, quote unquote, <laughs> per, per month? It's nothing. It's pocket change to you. So fucking do it already. And, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and head outside on a humid San Diego day and enjoy the rest of my day. So that's it for me, guys. One more time, at BK Actual. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week.